But I think one of the deep subjects in the Bible is the sovereignty of God. In fact, that's bothered all kind of people, and it's just such a tough thing. We realize that God is sovereign. He's complete control. He's working all events according to the counsel of his will. He controls everything. There's nothing outside of his providence and his direction and his sovereignty. If then, he's not God. He directs and he works all events. As said in our lives, there are no incidents, uh, or there's uh, only incidents, there's no coincidence. But here's the question then. If God is sovereign and complete control, where does our part fit in? Because that's one of the questions. If I have people say to me, then you have no freedom at all. Well, I, th- I think we all chose to come here tonight, didn't we? I mean, you didn't just get up and go, I think I'm supposed to go, right? You didn't do that. You, you, you came because you chose to come. But do you realize you're here because in the sovereignty and providence of God, that's where you're supposed to be. But how does that fit? Realize that we have to see decision-making capacity. We're to free, uh, free to choose to obey or to disobey. But what is incredible, all of these things, our choices, obedience, disobedience, everything fits in his sovereign plan. We have a God that is so great that he works all things according to the counsel of his will, and at the same time, you make every decision and choice you want to make. Wow. It's an incredible plan. This evening, Abraham sends his servant to get the bride for Isaac. And we see this passage, sovereignty and providence. And it's a dual aspect. We see how God works in the events. He works it all out. But at the same time, we see the servant trusts God, obeys God, and, and prays and obeys and does everything. God is working in your life in the same way, in our lives that way. Nothing happens by chance. Psalm 139 is an incredible psalm. But he even talks about that, that your life is planned, that the book of your life is already written. He says, even before you were born, the days that were already planned out. So in that sense, from a, from a God side of this, there's a sovereign aspect. Yet we have freedom to make choices. We have freedom to do to obey or disobey. Uh, realize when you disobey God, uh, you're disobeying God. You can't say, well, that was his plan for me. <laughs> it works in his plan, but he, his, he never says, I want you to disobey me. And you have the freedom to obey or disobey. Uh, God's sovereignty, man's freedom. They go together, and most people throughout history have argued over it. That's one reason you have people that are called Calvinists who, to all, who strongly say sovereignty of God, and you have people who are called Arminians who say, no, 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 free will of man. They're both wrong. They're both wrong because they're both making one or the other. They're both wrong. It's both, and it all fits together. We just can't comprehend it because he's an infinite God and we're finite people. That's why. Well, tonight we're going to see the story. Isaac gets a bride. It's a demonstration of the providence and sovereignty of God as God fulfills his promises. And yet at the same time we see the actions. I think a passage could be summarized by Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. All your ways acknowledge him. And what will he do? He will direct your path or he'll make your path straight. Trust him. He will direct. We see God's side, directing, guiding, providence, security. We see man's side, trust, obedience, making wise choices. Well, this evening, it's a long story. If you looked at it, it's 67 verses. We only read the first 32. We'll see basically half of it, and then the next time we'll see the other half. We see God directing the fence. Let me break down the passage for you. First of all, in verses 1 through 9, we call it the commission. He says he wants to go find the bride for his son. We see the servant's trip and, and God's providence, his prayer, all of those things. Then there's a little long section in here, verses 28 through 60, the success and the agreement about the bride. And then finally, 61 through 67, the completion, the bride for Isaac. Most of you have read the story, studied the passage in your life. It is an incredible passage. It's really a fun passage. You know, I, you look at the people in the passage and you see the servant. He's never named. We can guess who he might be. He's never named. And he does everything he's supposed to do. And we meet Rebecca who comes out. And I mean, she is an incredible person. And then you meet Laban who once he sees those golden rings, he goes, where is that man that gave you those things? 
I'd like to go see him. Because we, we find out later on what kind of man Laban is. If you continue on with the story of the book of Genesis, if you've read further, you find out that Laban is a man who cares about money and possession and things. And so we just get a glimpse of him at the start of all of this. There's a lot of things there. Well, let's begin. Let's start with the commission. Okay? Look at verse 1. Now, Abraham was old, advanced in age. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. In Genesis 25.20, we hadn't got to that yet, but in Genesis 25.20, it says this, Isaac was 40 years old when he got his bride. Okay, that's how we know how old he is. You look at this passage, you'd say, Jeffy, how did you know that Isaac was 40? It doesn't say it. You have to get to chapter 25. That means you do have to read ahead if you're going to be able to put the Bible together. You can't just read where you are. You have to read the whole book all the time and see, put the things together. If, if uh, Isaac is 40, how old is Abraham? The 140, that's exactly right, because he was about 100 years old when his son was born. So God had blessed him. He says, he's now old, advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. He had. Told him to leave the earth of the Chaldees, come to a land that he would show him, and then he got there and he told him, I'm going to give you this land, land seed, blessing, offspring, everything, and it's just incredible. Now watch this. Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he owed, please place your hand under my thigh. Now, stop for just a second. Who is the servant? His name is never mentioned. If you remember back earlier, some chapters ago, when Abraham was all upset because he didn't have an offspring, he said something like, And the heir of my household is my servant Eleazar. There's a question that could be. Now, we're not saying it is because the Bible never mentions it. But this servant, it, notice how it describes him. The oldest of his household could be this man named Eleazar, who, if Abraham had never had any children, may have ended up being the heir of the family. So, anyway, here's this servant who's the oldest of the household, who's in charge of everything. He says, place your hand under my thigh. Yeah, what it, what is that? Place your hand under my thigh. That's that, that was a, a a way that the, they made an oath. He put his hand up under his leg. That's just one of their culture things. Now this man was a steward. He was in charge of the household. He was in charge. He oversee a steward is one who oversees somebody else's possessions. I want you to realize as you study this, it'll say the servant took ten of his master's camels. They're not his camels. A, a steward, uh, this, this servant is oversees Abraham's possessions. And that's what we are. We're God's stewards. He has given us, we talked about it this morning in our service uh, in Philippians, about that we're stewards and everything that we have comes from God and it all belongs to him and we're to use it for his glory. Uh, in an article from Kindred Spirit, uh, one of the DC, DTS faculty, state, faculty guys said this about stewardship. He said, stewardship where Jesus paints a picture of a man as a caretaker of life. We hold assets, time, money, talents, abilities, relationships, truth, all on loan from God. And one day we'll give an account to God. We are managers, not owners. Servants, not masters. Stewards, not consumers. So he said, put your hand under my thigh. That was symbolic of an oath, a solemn thing. And, and, and then he goes ahead and says, I want to, and I will make you swear. Now watch. You're going to make a vow. I want you to make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth. Look how he describes him. I want you to swear. He's, he's going to make you make a vow. And we talked about it this morning. It's better not to make a vow than to make a vow and what? Not keep it. Now, once he says, I'll do this, and he puts his hand under the thigh, he is obligated to do what Abraham asked him to do. And so he says, I want you to swear. I'll make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth. If you notice, it's capital O, capital R. It's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's the name YHWH. That's the personal name of God. He said, I want to make you swear by the personal name of God, who is the God of heaven and the God of earth. He's the God of everything. He's the sovereign 
ruling God. That's why he says it this way. That you will not take a wife for my son from the daughter of the Canaanites among whom you live. He says, I do not want you to choose a son for a bride for my son from among these people. These people are called the Canaanites. If you remember, cursed be to who? Canaan. The descendants of Ham were these people, and they're cursed people. There's going to be a time in which God is going to let the iniquity of the Amorites, that's the same people, get full, and the nation of Israel is going to come back out of Egypt and wipe them out. Abraham says, I don't want you to pick a bride for my son from these people. These are not my people. These are pagan people. That's what he's really saying. I don't want a bride for my son from these people. And so he says, I want you to swear that you will not take a wife from my son, from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I live. So these are the surrounding people. They were the pagans. They were not part of the promise. They had been cursed. What does he say? But I want you to go to my country, to my relatives, and take a wife from my son Isaac. He said, I want you to go back to where I came from, where my family still is, some of my family, my brothers, all back there. And I want you to go find one of the, my relatives and choose one of those women and bring her back to be a bride for my son. Get a relative for my, to be a wife for my son Isaac. We already have had some information. If you remember back in Genesis chapter 22, out of the blue, there had been a story about the, you know, offering up Isaac and we said, whoa, what an incredible story. God offers up Isaac. And then at sort of the end of the passage, it just says, now, it was told Abraham, Milcah also bore children to your brother Nahor. And then just starts listing people. And then it lists this guy named Bethuel, who became the father of Rebekah. Just list them. And we said, I wonder why right in the middle of this passage would all of a sudden God's word give us information about Abraham's brother. Because just a couple of chapters later, we're going to see Abraham's brother and his son and his child, Rebekah. He's just letting us know. In fact, it even mentions Rebekah's name over there, just so we'd be ready. And so he says, I want you to go back to my relatives and take a wife for my son Isaac. You know, it has been said that it takes two to make a marriage. A single daughter and an anxious mother. In this case, it takes a single son and an aging father. Well, look what happens. If you're the servant, you've been with Abraham all these years. What are you going to do? The servant said to him, suppose the woman will not, <laughs> suppose the woman's not willing to follow me to this land. Shall I take your son back to the land from which you came, from where you came? He asked a legitimate question. What if I get out there and I say, uh, we need a bride for, you know, and so would you come and, and all of them go? We're not going. Shall I come back here and say, Isaac, I better take you with me, go back to the land to see if you can find somebody? That's a good question. Shall I just take him back? Look what Abraham says. Abraham said to him, Beware that you do not take my son back there. Now, wait a minute. Don't go back there? Where was there? Ur of the Chaldees? Uh, they were pagan too in one sense, but they are relatives anyway. But listen to this. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth and who spoke to me and swore to me, saying to your descendants, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you and you will take a wife for my son from there. Now, you know what he could be afraid of? What if, what if Isaac goes back there, finds a woman there and does what? Stays there. He says, no, 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 I don't want him going back there. 
This is the land that God said we're supposed to have. This land. So I don't want him going back there. I want you to go get the bride and bring her back. But remember the question, what, what, if, what, if, what if she doesn't come? Are we supposed to go back there? No. He said, this is the promised land. He must stay there. Look at verse 7. He says, uh, to your descendants, I remember the right toward the end of the verse, to your descendants I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you will take a wife from my, for my son from there. The providence of God, the sovereignty of God. God is going to lead. God is going to protect. God is going to direct. Providence comes from a Latin word that has the idea to oversee. God oversees everything in order. He's going to work it all out. So it comes back to the, to the original question, what if the woman won't come? Don't take my son up there. So what if she doesn't come? Notice verse 8. If the woman is not willing to follow you, then you'll be free from this my oath. Only do not take my son back there. And if she won't come, then the deal's off. Because you made a vow. You put your hand under my thigh. That's what I want you to do. And then I want you to go. And the plan is to go out there and get a woman and bring her back. And he says, but what if she won't come? Shall I take him out there? No. If she doesn't come, if you can't find one that will come, then the deal's off. The deal's off. You're, all, you're released from your vow. Because remember, the Old Testament is better to make, not make a vow than to make a vow and not keep it. So he was really worried. What if, what if none of the women will come? He said, okay, if they don't come, you're, off, you know, you're, you're free from the vow. Only do not take my son back there. So what happened? So the servant placed his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning the matter. He put his hand there and went, I'll go do it. I swear, I'll do what you ask me to do. We see God's sovereign plan, the providence and the sovereignty, and we see the servant's obedience. And that's why Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, that whole idea, trust in the Lord, trust and obey. He will direct your paths. He is sovereign. His providence uh, that's what it is. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. You've got to trust. You've got to obey. He will direct your path. That's his providence, his sovereignty. He's working it all according to the counsel of his will. Pretty powerful. Same thing in our lives. He directs. He works all things. We, we get up in the morning and say, Lord, just, you know, I just want to do whatever you want me to do today. Uh, my life is in your hands. I'll go wherever you want me to go and do whatever you want me to do. Our obedience. God's sovereignty. And before we go further in the story, I want you to think about decision-making and choices and the sovereignty and the providence. And, and here's a question that people come up all the time. How do we know God's will for our lives? I've taught this years, years ago. And, and the first time I actually really taught it, I did it at a college retreat because college people would always come in and they don't know God's will for their lives. They're in college and they don't know what courses to take. They change their major three times. They don't know what's going to happen when they get out. They just want to know what to do. Uh, you know, what does God have for me to do? How do I know God's will for my life? And so we taught it. And, and uh, I'm just going to touch on this very, very briefly. And uh, if you want to, the, uh, I think the study is on the Internet thing. You can get that if you want to. So how do we know God's will for our life? Well, I want you to understand that his sovereignty, our de decision-making, all fits together. There are three big areas, okay? First of all, there's the sovereign will of God. Sovereign will of God is God's sovereign will come to pass. God has a purpose and a plan. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. He is working everything in his plan, all circumstances. Everything comes to pass as he decreed. God's sovereign will will come to pass. If he's not God, I mean, if it doesn't come to pass, he's not God. 
So I want you to understand that that you don't know the sovereign will of God. You don't know it. He didn't reveal it to you. He hadn't told you what he's going to do next week and the week after that in your life. Some of the things he has revealed. You can go to the scripture and you know that there's one day Jesus is going to come and one day there's going to be a kingdom and there's going to be a tribulation. There's going to be the great white throne judgment. There's going to be all these things that we know he's revealed to us in the future. But as far as what he's going to do in your life tomorrow, the next day, the next day, the next day, he hasn't revealed it to you. But it's going to come to pass. The second thing is what we call the specific will of God, which is the word of God. And we are to obey God's specific will. You have in the scripture his word, his specific will. And it is what we call his direct revelation. And there are a lot of places in there that tells us exactly what to do. And people say, how do I know God's will? Go to God's word. God's word contains God's will. And you're to study the Word of God and live according to the Scripture, the rights and wrongs, the do's and the don'ts, the principles to follow. We know God's will for our life, and this is called the specific will of God. You can get out of the specific will of God. You can disobey the Word of God. If the Word of God says do not lie and you lied, you just got out of the specific will of God because you disobeyed it. You cannot get out of the sovereign will of God because everything fits in His sovereign plan, but you can get out of the specific will. That's disobedience. Okay? And you know the specific will of God because the Word of God tells us what it is. It takes us to the third thing. We ca- I call it the general will. And this is choices that you make in which you do not have biblical revelation. And there are m- probably most of the choices that you and I make we do not have biblical revelation for. What time we get up, what clothes we wear, who we marry, what house we buy, where we live, where we get, we, all of these things. We don't have biblical revelation on that. It doesn't tell us what time to get up, what clothes to wear, what person to marry. It doesn't tell us. It may tell us what kind of person to marry, but it does not tell us the person to marry. It doesn't tell us what job to take. It doesn't tell us where to live. It doesn't tell us. And those are what we call the general will things. We are free to make any choice. But people get bothered by this because they don't realize that where God does not give direct revelation, you are free to make a choice. These are not right or wrong decisions. So you can never get out of the sovereign will of God. It's going to happen. You can get out of the specific will of God because you can either obey it or disobey it. But the general will, you have the freedom to make wise choices. In fact, that's what the Bible really talks about. Freedom to make wise choices. You go to to Ephesians and he talks about walking wisdom. You know, and redeeming the time because the days are evil, uh, you know, walk in wisdom and those kind of things. And so we want to live according, you know, we want to make as wise choices as possible based on the information we have. But you have freedom to make choices. So that that's what it boils down to. James says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask. That it, maybe you've got a decision to make. You don't know. You may say, Lord, is there something in the Scripture that I can't remember, I hadn't studied or something, that will help me make this decision? But if there's not, you're free to make whatever choice you want to make. So when we think about our lives, there is a sovereign will of God which he has not revealed to us specifically, and that's going to happen. There is the specific will of God which he has revealed to us specifically in the Scripture, and we're to obey that. And there's the general will of God, which is basically any choices. And you can go, you can go back to uh, the garden. Let me, let me give you the garden. I always give this example just to help people see it. In the garden, there's the man and the woman, and he says specifically, you may eat from any tree of the garden except what? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's the specific will of God. The sovereign will of God is going to happen. The specific will is you can eat freely of any tree except don't eat for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, what's the general will? They get ready to eat, and they say, uh, should we eat bananas or, or uh, pears or peaches or grapes? I don't know. We don't want to mess up. Go ask him. So Adam goes and asks him and says, we, we, you know, we don't want to mess up. We don't know whether to eat apples or oranges or grapes. Or, and he says, look, you can eat whatever you want to, remember? You, you have the freedom. My specific will is you can't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but everything else you have freedom to eat whatever you want, anything you want. He goes back and says, we, we can eat anything we want. 
She says, this is wonderful. Then they go, you think we ought to do fruit salad or do you think we ought to do it individually? And so go ask him. So they go ask him, do you think we ought to do fruit salad or individually? He says, you can do whatever you want. So, And that's how life is. You, you know, what time do you get up? Well, some of you, we get up because we don't want to be late for work. We get up at certain times. we got certain things to do. But we're not going to go to the Scripture and tell you what time to get up or what clothes to wear or what job to take. It's not going to tell you that. So you have great freedom. Now, in all of that, I just want you to see the sovereignty of God working all things and the freedom and the choices that we have. It all ties together. And one thing is sure, we cannot comprehend how it works because he's an infinite God and we're finite. And we're finite saying, how can God work everything according to his counsel and I have at the same time freedom to make choices and, and, and both good and bad and it all fits together. I can't comprehend it. I believe it to be true because what we see in the scripture. Well, as we're looking at this, I think the, the next slide... Oh, this is how it's going to play out in this thing. We'll see the sovereign will is is God is getting this bride for Isaac. Specific will, go to Ur and find a bride for Isaac. The general will is make some wise choices. You know, as he's leaving, you can almost see Isaac say, make sure she's pretty. Okay, make sure she's pretty. Let's see what happens. Verse 10. Then the servant took ten camels from the camels of his master. Notice, whose master, whose camels are they? It's not his. He's a servant. He's a steward. Then the servant took ten camels from the camels of his master and set out with a variety of good things of the master's in his hands. Took a bunch of stuff to take, presents to give. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. He made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of the water at evening time, the time when what? When women go out to draw water. He comes to the city and he goes out by the, by the well of water at evening time. You know what? If you want to find a woman, you got to find where the women go, right? And the women come out to get the water. The men don't come get the water. The women come get the water. So he goes by the well, and what he knows, and just a little bit, because they came out in the evening. They didn't come out in the middle of the day. It was too hot. They went to get water early in the morning or late in the evening. And so now they're coming out. The women are coming. Look what he says. He said, Oh, Lord, the God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today. Show your loving kindness to my master, Abraham. His prayer says, show me, give me success. Give me wisdom. Let me know what to do. Help me, Lord, as I work through this. He's trusting God to work it all out. Grant me success. Show loving kindness to my master, which is a loyal love. The word is hesed. It's the famous, the most famous word in the Old Testament is hesed. Loyal love, loving kindness. That's a love that never ends and never changes. He says, show, show this loving kindness to my master, Abraham. Now watch. Behold, I'm standing by the spring, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now, here's his plan. Now, may it be that the girl to whom I say, Please let down your jar so that I may drink, and who answers, Drink, and I will water your camels also, that she would be the one you've appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I'll know that you have shown loving kindness to my master. Now, he's got a plan. He doesn't know exactly what to do, so he says, Here's, here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that as they come out, I will ask these women, I'll say, Somebody give me a drink. And if she says, if whichever one steps out and says, I'll give you a drink and I'll water your camels also. How many camels? Ten. That is not an easy task. And this is a stranger. She's going to water ten camels? Camels drink a lot of water. Right? And so he's saying, whatever woman steps out and says, yeah, here's some water and I'll water your camels. He's saying, let this be the right one. Now, we'd be careful when we put 
signs out and things like that. You know, Gideon, everybody says, well, Gideon did it. You remember when Gideon got ready to go to war? God told him to go to war. He's going to give him the victory. Gideon said, well, if it's really what you want me to do, I'm going to put this fleece out there and it's either going to be dry or not. Well, the truth is, Gideon already knew what God wanted him to do. He wasn't determining God's will by that fleece. He was just trying to get more confirmation because he was scared to go to the battle. That's what it boiled down to. God had already told him, you're going to battle and you're going to win. But he said, really? Let me put this feast out here to see what's going to happen. And here, what I think he's doing, and remember, there's no written revelation to go by. There's no scripture. And I think he's saying, Lord, I, I don't, you know, I just, I'm here and I'm not knowing exactly what to do. So here, here's what I'm going to try to do. Whichever woman steps out and says, I'll do that, that, that would be a pretty good sign. Now, that's not the final sign. Okay, I'll show you why in just a second. It would be very strange for a strange woman basically to come to a stranger and want to water his ten camels. He's saying, in the providence of God, let it be the right one. We know that, uh, I think the next slide, this servant knows that God's will is going to be accomplished. This servant knows he's to obey the commands to find the wife. And this servant knows that I'm asking for wisdom. He's praying for a sign. He's saying, help me figure out what to do. Well, watch what happens. Verse 15. Now, before he had finished speaking, before he had finished his request to God, Rebecca, who is Rebecca? Well, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Micah, the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor, came out with her jar on her shoulder. Now, we already know, back in Genesis 22, we've got this lady mentioned. Out of the blue, the very first one coming out is Rebecca. And look how she is described. The girl was very beautiful. A virgin, no man had had relations with her, and she went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Now, she's doing what she always does. She's getting the water. So here she comes. Now, we know already who she is. She's a relative of who? Abraham, it fits, it fits exactly right. Because he said, you've got to go back and find somebody from my family. Because there's a whole bunch of women coming out there, and that doesn't mean they're related to Abraham. So watch what happens. The, ser- the servant says, well, I wonder if this is the one. The servant ran to meet her and said, please let me drink a little water from your jar. That's going to be the test. What is she going to say? She could say, excuse me. This is for my family. If you want water, you're a man. You get your own water. She could say that. Or she could say, talk to one of the other girls. I'm busy. She could have. No t- but what does she do? He says, please let me drink a little water from your jar. She said, drink, my Lord. And she quickly lowered her jar to, the hand, to her hand and gave him a drink. See, it was most likely on her shoulder. And when it says she put it down in her hand to tip it out to him so he could drink from it. Now, when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will, all, I will draw also for your camels until they have finished drinking. What are the chances of that? What are the chances of that? You see the providence and the sovereignty of God. He's working all these events. You can almost see this servant going, what do you know about that? This is, this. But he's not sure this is the one. Why? Because not only is he saying it's got to be a woman who, who said, let me have a drink, she gave me a drink, and then she's going to water the camels, but it's got to be somebody that's what? A relative. He doesn't know whether she's a relative. He doesn't know anything about her. I'll get water for your camels also. So look what happened. 
She said, drink, my Lord. He quickly lowered the jar in her hand. And then when she had finished she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw also for your camels until they finish drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and went back to the well to draw. And she drew for all his camels. My gracious. It looks like everything looks good so far. But he's watching closely. Watch. Meanwhile, the man was gazing at her in silence. That means to watch closely. He's watching everything she's doing to know whether the Lord had made his journey successful or not. You could say, well, it has to be successful. Didn't you say if the woman said, you said, give me a drink, she said, yeah, and then she'd water the camels. It's got to be the right one. It's not finished yet because she has to be a what? A relative. He's pretty excited about this. S. Lewis Johnson said, anyone who's ever had a definite answer of prayer can understand his joy because he's seeing all this working out exactly right. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her wrist weighing ten shekels in gold. Now, the gold ring was for the nose and the other two for her wrist. And then he asked the biggest question of all. Whose daughter are you? Please tell me, and he's got a double question here, whose daughter are you, and please tell me, is there room for us to lodge in your father's house? By the way, those bracelets are very expensive. I mean, when she takes this and looks at it, she knows this man's rich, or this, whoever this man is, he's rich. That's why when Laban saw the bracelet and the ring, he went, somebody's rich out there. So watch. Whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room for us to lodge in your father's house? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcar, whom she bore to Nahor. Who is Nahor? Abraham's who? That's Abraham's brother. My gracious. And again she said to him, we have plenty of straw and feed in the room to lodge in. What does he know right now? God has answered the prayer, the providence of God. The girl came out, did the right thing, said the right thing. Turns out to be Abraham's relative. So how does he respond? And this is what Stephen talked about. How did he respond? The man bowed low and worshipped the Lord. That's what he did. And look what he says. Blessed be the Lord, he said, the blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his loving kindness and his truth toward my master. As for me, the Lord has guided me in the way to the house of my master's brothers. What are the chances that he would make that trip all that way, get to the watering hole, and the first girl that comes out is his brother's granddaughter, his master's brother's granddaughter? What is the chance of that? We'd say, well, there's not much chance of that. That's right, because it's the sovereign providence of God working everything exactly right. Wow. He thanks God. You know, too often we don't thank God when we get an answer prayer. That's not over yet. Because what's the final thing that has to happen? You may remember? She's got to want to go back with him. Because what if he says, you are the one. We're going to go back. He's rich. You're going to love it. It's going to be great. And she goes, I'm not going. I'm not going. Because remember, if she said she wouldn't go, he comes back and the vow is off. The deal is off. Well, look what happened. The girl ran to told, told to her mother's household, uh, told her mother's household about these things. Now, Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban. Laban ran outside to meet the man of the spring. Why did Laban come out? 
<laughs> he saw the bracelets. That's why he came out. He, he, we're going to see him later on. He's, we sometimes say that uh, Laban has, is a man who has an eye for possessions. Okay? So when he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrist, and when he heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, saying, This is the man, this is what the man said to me. Behold, he went to the man and, and was standing by the camels at the spring. So he goes back out, and the servant's still standing there. He didn't go. He didn't follow her. And he said, Come in, blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside while I have already prepared the house and the place for the camels? Come on in. So the man entered the house. Laban unloaded the camels, and he gave straw and feed to the camels and water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. We're going to stop there, but I want you to notice. Look at the next verse. But when food was set before him to eat, because the natural thing to do after a long trip and it's in the evening time, what are they fixing to do? It's time to what? Time to eat supper, we'd say. But look what he does. When the food was set before him to eat, he said, I will not eat until I have told my business. He said, I'm not going to eat till I solve the issue. And then they said to him, well, speak on. And we'll see next time what happened because he starts by saying, I am Abraham's servant. That's powerful. Wow. You, can you imagine that... Uh, uh, what these people are thinking, this man has traveled all this journey, he's got all this stuff, and he's, he's come for a reason. Very, very powerful. We have seen the sovereignty and the providence of God. He works in all events according to the counsel of his will. He sent the servant, the right girl at the right time, but we see man's freedom to choose, servant to obey, to trust, and ask for wisdom. And we see in this picture, sometimes they, they say in this passage, it's a picture as a, as the type of Christ as the father sends the servant to get the bride for his son. God the father sent the servant, the Holy Spirit, to get a bride for his son, Jesus Christ. So it's some powerful things. Let me give you some applications quickly. Realize that God is sovereign and he works all events in our lives. There's no doubt about it. He is the creator. He's the creator and the, the ruler of heaven and earth. He has a plan for all and all things will come to pass. Nothing's too big for him to accomplish. Nothing is too small for him to notice. Do you understand the sovereignty of God? Now be careful because sometimes people make the sovereignty of God the overarching characteristic of God. Since God's sovereign and works all things, they say, well, this has got to be and this has got to be and this has got to be. Do not do that. All the attributes of God fit equally. He is a God of love and justice and mercy and sovereignty and all that. They all go together. So don't make one of his attributes overrule the other. Uh, the servant trusted him. We need to trust him as well. And, uh, it, it, you know, are, let me ask you this. Are you a servant of the sovereign God? Because that's what's happened here. There's an old saying that says if you're too big to do little things, then you're too little to do big things. That's true. How do we respond? Well, trust God as we make decisions. That's why I love Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You understand that we have we have the revealed will of God. That's the trust and obey. You have the specific will of God. You have, we don't have the sovereign will of God. We just don't know. Except there's some place in the scripture where he tells us what he's going to do. But in our lives, normally, we don't know that. So we know he's working it. But we have the specific will of God, the revealed will of God. We're to trust it and obey it in the areas that aren't revealed. We have the freedom to make wise choices. There's a book that was written years ago called Decision Making in the Will of, of God uh, by Gary Friesen. It's the best book I've ever read on understanding the will of God. There's several other books, one by Bruce Walkie, one by Adam Robinson, talking about knowing the will of God. If you would like to read those, they are very well written and very easy to understand. Uh, they're the best books I've ever seen putting this together because people have been taught historically that there's this specific will of God, and if you want to buy this house, somehow God's got to reveal it to you whether you ought to 
abide or not. And, and people can't make decisions because they're frozen. They're so afraid they're going to make a mistake. But what we understand from Scripture is where you do not have biblical revelation, you have freedom. You have great freedom. And so uh, sometimes if you want to talk about that, we'll do that, or sometimes I'll do a particular study on that maybe. Uh, so what do we do? We have a specific will. We're to obey. How do we make choices like that? Well, pray. we ask for wisdom. Say, Lord, help me understand this. We, we look at the circumstances. What, what's working? We get wise counsel. We go to other people and say, look, I'm, I'm thinking about making this decision. You've done this before. What do you think? The guy may say, well, I'd never do it again. Really? Why? And you find out and you go, well, I might not do it now. And what are your desires? Delight yourself in the Lord and he gives you what? The desires of your heart. Where do your desires come from? They come from the Lord. So all of those things tie together. We know that God is sovereign and his sovereign will be accomplished. We're to trust and obey him in areas that are not revealed. We have freedom. So it's very powerful. May we trust God in the events of our lives, knowing that he's working as we seek to obey him. Let's pray. And if you've got questions or comments, we'll do that. Heavenly Father, what a passage. Thank you for these great truths. Help us, Lord, as we continue to see the bride for Isaac. And we're just halfway through. But, Lord, may we understand that you are a sovereign God and you work all things according to the counsel of your will. And may we trust you in that. And then, Lord, as we go through life, we know that you have a specific will that we are to obey. And then we have the general decisions that we can make that we have great freedom. And so thank you for that, Lord. Help us as we look at this. And may we continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Questions, comments, anything? I know it's a little bit over time because it's a long passage. Yeah, JJ. When we say they're cursed, we're talking about the people group being cursed, not the individual people. And so there's these, tri- these tribes of people, so to speak, living in the land of Canaan, which for some reason, whatever happened to Noah and his son, Ham, they'd be, he said, cursed be to Canaan, which was the offspring of Ham, not Ham himself. And so all we know is there's some, some judgment falling on the descendants of Canaan. And the Canaanites were these people. Now, the best that we can understand is as they moved into the, what we'd call the promised land, they, they were pagans. They didn't follow the truth of God. They rejected it. And so they were pagan people, so to speak. And as time went by, as, as God says, the iniquity of the Amorites became full. There was a time that he, somebody said, why don't you judge these people? And he said, their, their, their iniquity is not full yet. They haven't been as bad as they're going to get. And once they are, then I'm going to deal with them. And he dealt with them by bringing the nation of Israel in and remove them from the land. So that's best we can understand on that. Huh? God's work is, God worked it out, yeah. Yeah. I think so, but I think also I think he was I think he came to give those gifts, you know, and he says um, he gave this and then says who is this? I think he's he's there and she's just done him a big favor. What did she do? She just you know, and I think he's doing this because I think he's so sure that this is going to work out. Because what what did he say back earlier? Oh, bless Lord, thank you, thank you, and he's gazing to see if this journey is successful and uh, you know and you know you could ask it this way: What are the chances that some woman just comes out and he and says he says can I have a drink and she says yeah and I'll water your camels? Uh, what are the chances? He's saying you know, but he did give. You're right. He gave it to her before. Uh, he could have lost them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
He could have said, could I have those bracelets? I, I need those bracelets back, if you don't mind, because you're not who I thought you were. And then, and then he goes, she goes into her brother, whoever this guy is, and he says, you're not getting these bracelets back, you know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It'd be women all over the place. You got any bracelets? You got any nose rings? You got any little ankle things? We'll take them. We'll take anything you got. I just think he knew. Everything was working. I mean, think about it. He got there at about the time that the women come out to get the water. And so it's just everything worked. And in our lives, we'll say, you know, that thing worked out perfectly, didn't it? Or, you know, God, just like God was working that. And we'd say, well, he was. He was. And he does. Anything else? I think you no, I think you said it exactly right. I think the more specific we pray, the more specific we're going to see the answer. Too often we'll just say something like, "Oh, bless bless Anthony." Okay, I, God's going to bless Anthony, but that's such a general bless general thing. I don't know if he's blessing him or not. You can't even say because he blesses him all the time, but but if you say, "Oh Lord, I would like please work this thing out this way or please do this." And then God answers that prayer. You say that's a specific answer. Mm-hmm. I think you're exactly right. Just pray, Lord, let me, let me be faithful to do whatever you want me to do. We know that he empowers us and he gives us the word, so we just need to be faithful to do what he has for us to do, and, and we'll be successful in that way. Okay, Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thanks for each one who's here, and most of all, thank you for our Savior Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.